Hello and welcome back to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. Today's episode, I should be taking you through my top picks and recommendations for neo-noir films. Now, you may remember I did an episode on film noir, so I looked at all the black and white based films. I may have mentioned a couple of titles to you. Uh, that were neo-noir related, uh, but this episode will be dedicated specifically to those films. Uh, some of my top picks here, these are my own personal choices as they always are for these films that I recommend in these episodes where I give you a few different films to look through uh, and just a few little details about the plot will be mentioned, so spoiler alert whilst we start here. But before we begin, remember to keep following us on social media. Thank you so much for your support. I'm getting lots and lots of good feedback from these podcasts, and I'm starting to gain a few more extra followers along the way as well, which is always very good. Uh, but yeah, today's episode, I it's all about neo-noir. So film noir, if you want to know more about that, go back to the film noir episode on where you get your podcasts from on Take 97. Uh, but neo-noir is basically, to put it in a more simplified way, it means it's a new version of film noir. It's It goes beyond what film noir is and was. So it's not... The most obvious thing is that most neo-noirs aren't shot in black and white. Uh, they're usually in colour. Not to say that films can't be in black and white, however. It usually means, though, film noirs are based within the classical period. So the 1940s through to the 1950s, beginning of the early 60s, but usually up to the end of the 50s, uh, which deems it as a classical film noir text. Uh, so these ones are usually from the 1970s onwards. Some There are some that have been classified as a film noir in the 1960s, but usually, generally, by and large, the films are from the 1970s onwards uh, up to the present day. Uh, we're seeing a few less and less nowadays in the 21st century as, the, as of the recording of this podcast, but uh, I do think we get the odd good gem here and there as well. But my main point, really, so I'm going to talk to you about maybe I'd say five of my top recommendations here. Uh, three in particular are my ultimate favorite neo-noirs or noirs that build on the classic era tropes, but they're in color or that they do something different with them. So I'm going to start off with one of my top favorite ones and I'll mix the others in as we go along. So number one on my list, I have to say this one because it's an obvious choice, Blade Runner. The Ridley Scott film from 1982 starring Harrison Ford and that's a science fiction noir so it features it's obviously it's set in the future well as of the making of the film it was set in the future we've now passed that date now because it was set in the year 2019 which obviously we've gone past now <laughs> but it was set in the future for its time back in the 1980s uh, and it's all a lovely grungy but also futuristic shiny looking neon filled lots of rain lots of different aspects of los angeles melded into one there's a shot which everybody will know i'm sure i've posted it before on the instagram and i'll post it again it's the shot of there's a one of the spaceships flies by through los angeles uh the police spaceships and we get to see this geisha girl on a digital video screen on the side of a building the future of Los Angeles and according to Blade Runner it really it emulates a lot of tropes and styles and ideas that were had about Tokyo and it even looks even to this day you look at pictures of Tokyo city center and you look at Blade Runner 1982 you really do see the similarities in the look and the 
the feel and the aesthetic of it all. So it's meant to be very built up and filled to the brim with futuristic lighting and neon signs and everything. But at the same time, it's still got that very grungy, noir-esque feel. So, for instance, we look at the likes of uh, Double Indemnity, which is set in Los Angeles, uh, and various other classic noirs. You get to see all... um, Naked City in New York, but you get to see that dark underbelly of the city. This is what the world of Blade Runner presents us with, a very dark underworld, which is pretty much everywhere you turn. There's no real sunshine and rainbows uh, moments. The only real place of any sanctuary as, of sorts is the la- laboratories and the, the main hub, Tyrell Industries, uh, who create these robot replicants, which the story of Blade Runner centers around. So to give you a quick brief... Blade Runner follows Harrison Ford's character, Rick Deckard, as he is employed to hunt down replicants, so robot replicas of humans. Uh, And there's a couple that have gone rogue on an off-world human colony, and they've made their way back to Earth to find their creator, Tyrell, who a couple of them are trying to find the meaning of life, what their life means, and also along the way they're trying to make their lives longer because these replicants only have a short lifespan they only last about so many like a matter of years they don't last as long as a human naturally does so they want to extend their lifeline uh, their life force but ultimately that doesn't turn out so well as you can probably tell <laughs> nothing ever does harrison ford's in charge of a gun give him an indiana jones you get him in this you know harrison ford i think gives a great performance in this film uh, it's one of his career defining roles so i mean for me easily harrison ford's top three film roles are han solo from star wars indy from indiana jones and rick deckard in blade runner and obviously he's a private detective in blade runner so rick deckard and there's always a big question after you watch blade runner is he a replicant is he not there's little subtle hints so a little spoiler alert here for you guys little territory for you if you haven't seen blade runner there's always that question of, is he a replicant? Because there is a shot where we do see, I don't know whether it is in the original, because that's the thing with Blade Runner. There's been multiple cuts. So I'm basing this base off of the final cut that I've seen. And it's the only version that I've seen per se. But all these other versions have got slightly different variations of different moments in the film. Mostly it does do the same job as the final cut in the earlier prints. But uh, in the shot, the shots that I've seen, so Rick Deckard you see a little red glow in his eyes, which is usually associated with the replicants. We see it in the femme fatale of this, well, I say femme fatale, in our good girl kind of femme fatale character of Rachel, uh, the robot replicant who were introduced to at Tyrell Industries. Uh, She is the love interest for Rick Deckard as she delivers what I would say is one of my absolute favorite lines in cinema uh he's doing the void conf test uh the test to see whether you're a human that they employ on these replicants and it's used at the very beginning of the film in the opening scene it's real tension builder when all hell breaks loose when they're trying to work out whether this uh, there's a man who whether he's a replicant or not it turns out to be a replicant and then he ends up you know breaking out of the system and running a riot amongst los angeles but the main point of this one is uh, Rachel. So uh, <laughs> she absolutely its one of my favorite lines in cinema. And it's uh, he asks, if you see a picture of a naked woman, your husband staring at it. What do you feel? What do you do? Uh, her response is her response is brilliant. Uh, I 
I genuinely love it. It's what do you what do you feel? What do you do? You know, just to assess whether she's a robot or not. And then very quick wittedly, she replies, "Is this a test if I'm a replicant or a lesbian, Mister Deckard?" And <laughs> it, honestly, every time I watch it, it's delivered with such savagery. It's brilliant, a brilliant job on all fronts on the tonal delivery of that line, and it, it's just so it's you know so sharp and it's not even because of the dialogue the actual words themselves it's just the delivery and the quick wittedness of it it really it's how dialogue should be written you know he's very he's droning on harrison ford's asking all these questions and she clearly thinks they're pointless and she just replies very on the ball very sharp with her answer of is this to test whether i'm a, a, a lesbian or a replicant and it's just it's also because she is a replicant and it's delivered. She delivers it with such quick wittedness, but also it's very dry and dull in its tone at the same time that you get that very weird, ironic dissonance between what she's saying and how she's saying it. So I think it's a very good performance overall from that perspective. Uh, Daryl Hannah does a great job as our, what I would call the proper femme fatale, uh, our tempting temptress lady in this film. Uh, she's a replicant as well, uh, but she, She's like a psycho femme fatale. She tries to kill Deckard at one point in a impressive fight sequence towards the near the end of the film. And obviously the late uh, late Roy Batty, the actor who plays Roy Batty, uh, brilliant. Everyone is on point here. I feel that all of these characters are career-defining roles for all of them. I'd say apart from uh, the obvious one of Harrison Ford, who's had many, many roles over the years. Uh, uh, that have defined his career but I do feel that these are brilliant characters to follow so Blade Runner like I said it's set in the future he fo follows a private detective and the nature of film noir in the classic era is it follows a detective in a lot of cases or it's a crime thriller and you get that essence of the chase and the thrill and the capture and everything like that uh, with Rick Deckard hunting down these robot replicants who have gone rogue uh, but yeah like I said 1982 Blade Runner You'll probably only find the final cut these days, unless I think there's some limited edition collectible Blu-rays out there that have got all the different versions in the same set. So I check them out if you can find them. But Blade Runner, even if you watch the final cut, it's brilliant. Uh, I've seen clips of the one where it involves a voiceover by Harrison Ford, and it, it it's not good. D don't watch it. <laughs> it's not great at all. Uh, but I will say, you know, check Final Cut out. And then obviously, as a connecting text, there was the 2017 Denis Villeneuve, if I've said his name correctly, <laughs> uh, follow up Blade Runner 2049, which was most anticipated because lots of people wanted to see a sort of follow on from Blade Runner to see if Deckard was a replicant or not. And the answer's still not there. And I quite like the fact that the answer's not there that, oh, is Deckard a. A replicant or not lots of people say he is other people have theories why he isn't but and lots of things point towards the fact he is but i would say uh blade around 2049 is a great it builds on what you've seen in the original and adds more and denny Villeneuve as a visionary director he did directed arrival uh he's doing the new june film as well brilliant director very visionary and it you know the visuals of Blade Runner very Ridley Scott they're very grungy they're very if you like aliens and alien then you'd appreciate that sort of stuff and also The Martian from Ridley Scott all those films that he's done over his career you'll get that same aesthetic of a very grungy very dark claustrophobic stuck in dark spaces real locations as well as on set like soundstage bits as well but it's a gem to behold and Denis Villeneuve it's very inspired by 
his culture. So Ridley Scott's British. It rains a lot. <laughs> Whereas Denny Villeneuve, he's got snow in one of his scenes. And it's you know, uh, because of his heritage. And also, you know, the, the lovely heat-blessed landscapes that come to you in Blade Runner 2049. I'll post pictures later, but they're honestly beautiful to watch. And again, that follows the same premise of finding out replicant not replicant so it's very good uh that's from 2017 uh my next pick though i would say is arguably i didn't mention it first because i think blade runner is a very standard film that you should go to for a film noir uh in the new age then a, a neo-noir uh, and it mixes nice sci-fi stuff spaceships hovering cars all sorts of stuff and that opening shot of los angeles with all the smoke and everything and the lovely music by vangelis is brilliant whereas by complete contrast L.A. Confidential is a film released in 1997. Uh, it's a brilliant film, and although it's an, I would, it, I class it as a neo noir. It is a neo noir because it takes all the tropes of the femme fatale, the detectives, private detectives, police forces, corruption, the crime thriller. It really is a great piece of cinema because, and it's in color as well, and it's set in the 1950s. But it's got that action and punch and you know, real buoyancy that the 1990s brought us. So for instance, if you watch Pulp Fiction or Jackie Brown or any of the Quentin Tarantino films from the 1990s, or, or even Fight Club, you watch all these 1990s crime thriller or action-packed, blood-drenched films. LA Confidential brings that. Uh, it brings that to it. And it also reminds you of the classic period of film noir by bringing you these film noir archetypes in forms of, you know, the the young cop who's aspiring to be amazing at his job and be the best policeman he can and clean up the town of Los Angeles and the whole LAPD, uh, which is essentially what the film was about. It's, you know, corruption within the uh, Los Angeles police force and the classic film noir motifs. It's based on a book as well, because it's. It, I should really note that Blade Runner, the original one, is based on Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, the, a book by Philip K. Dick, who, it, for those of you science fiction dystopian book fans out there, you'll know his name. Uh, but LA Confidential is also based on a book, which is a nice hefty book as well, as well, because I've got it. It's um, by the brilliantly talented James Elroy. And it's really brilliant, really hard hitting, punchy book. Very down to earth, very gritty. And the film doesn't let up on that either. And you get that from uh, so director uh, Curtis Hansen. Point being is it's a brilliantly punchy film with 1990s blood and gore. Well, not blood and gore, but like blood and punch and guns and everything but it's got the sensibilities of a film noir because you've got uh so it stars russell crowe as bud white who's a very hard yeah i'm gonna i'm a man kind of cop who is very stereotypically of the time of the 50s very hard-nosed cop uh, he just wants to get the job done and he doesn't care about anything that stands in his way he'll do it. he's got a job to do he'll do it uh, and then it also co-stars kim bassinger who for those of you batman fans out there you'll know kim bassinger from batman with tim, uh, so michael keating and tim burton's batman but she plays another femme fatale uh, she plays Lynn Bracken, who in the whole setting of L.A. Confidential, there's a, a racket of criminals and linked all to the police where there's a business which makes normal people into movie stars. And I don't just mean actual movie stars. I mean, they make them look just like movie stars. It's an escort agency, I believe, if I remember off the top of my head. So Kim Bassinger's character, Lynn Bracken, is made to look like Veronica Lake, who we actually see a clip 
from The Blue Dahlia, another classic film based on the actual Blue Dahlia murders about a real life Hollywood murder. And it's on the screen in like this private projection room in this Los Angeles apartment. And it's really, you know, all the connections are there, the references to the classic film noir. It's, you know, you've got black and white films references from the actual era itself to sort of cement this real life film noir obviously bud white played by russell crowe's no nonsense cop but then you've got ed exley who's played by guy pierce who for those of you who know priscilla queen of the desert that's guy pierce uh great guy great australian talent uh he is uh, he's the goody two-shoes of the whole cast really he's the one who wants to really clean up the lapd and make it a great place to work and make los angeles a great city to clean up crime and he kind of succeeds in the end but you know i'll let you guys discover that as you go along but yeah brilliant set pieces throughout the film itself is a joy to watch because you know it's a crime film it's noir it's in color and then on top of that it's got danny devito in it as this guy sid hutchins who runs the hush hush tabloid trashy magazine that has all the latest hollywood gossip in it and he is like there's a policeman who is now i can't avoid the elephant in the room Kevin Spacey stars in this film and I have to just separate from all the stuff that's been going on I have to separate I'm very much like a friend of mine has said on a another episode of this podcast separating the art from the from the person and i do genuinely i can still watch la confidential and enjoy this it's unescapable the things that have been going around and everything that's been said over the years and you know what's gone on or what hasn't what we do know what we don't everything else in between but i do think it would be impossible to talk about la confidential without talking about kevin spacey Uh, It's a great film role. The character of Jack Vincennes is a brilliant character. And in terms of the film, he works well within the film. That's all I'll say on that for now. But it's hard to avoid that without actually talking about it. So I appreciate the character. The character is a great character. And um, little spoiler alert, he does get killed at one point. So (laughs) Uh, there's a kind of a like a last man standing kind of vibe. And this brings me on to my next point. There's a last man standing vibe in all of this. So and we see the police corruption in the form of our main, our, our, like the big police chief. He ends up stand having like a Mexican standoff almost, uh, uh, like a Western standoff then, like the old Western films like uh, Clint Eastwood would have, where you have Guy Pierce's character, Ed Exley, up against the, poli- the big chief. Everybody else apart from, I think Bud White survives, but, uh, you know, at this point, but there's a big standoff. It's before the conclusion of the film. There's a standoff before the ultimate end, shall we say. And these... It really shows that you've got a great standoff. And, you know, it's a brilliant film overall. I really enjoy it. It's a great piece of fun, action, uh, murder mystery, crime thriller. It's amazing. And I'd highly encourage anyone to watch it. Obviously, if you don't like certain things, then like blood and violence and that kind of thing, you won't like it because there's lots of it. So, but I do highly recommend it no matter what the the difficulty in watching it is i still think like russell crowe's performance is brilliant and so is guy pierce's and overall the cinematography of the film is brilliant like the 50s setting the cars the lights everything the hollywood fakery in the background uh jack vincennes acts as a on-set advisor then on-set advisor for the the actual the cops on this uh made-up tv show that he has to say oh that's not how the real police would do it he's just an advisor a police advisor on the tv show and that lots of fun comes out of that you see hollywood corruption working with police corruption hand in hand uh for those of you who enjoyed my mank review or have seen mank you might see that political and hollywood connection there that is kind of a similar aesthetic that you get here 
but more for the crime thriller genre. Uh, but like I said, it's in the 50s. It's, you know, it builds on film noir tropes, including the detective at private detectives as well, and also the general 50s look of it and crime. And it's just really fun from end to end. So I highly recommend LA Confidential. The next one on my list, it's slightly, I won't spend too much time on this one, mainly because I haven't watched it for a, a long while now, but it's a brilliant film. And it is known as The Devil in the Blue Dress. Also from the 1990s, so a couple of years before LA Confidential, so 1995, uh, based on Walter Mosley's novel, 1990 it was released, so five years before the film, uh, and Denzel Washington plays the lead character of Easy Rawlins, who essentially becomes our like our detective character in all this. He's not really, a, a, like he is and isn't, so he's been thrown into a bit of a situation completely out of his own control. He ends up being Try, people try and go after him and try and frame him. He's trying to solve a case for a friend of his as well. It's all bang, bang, bang happening all at once. And he gets employed by somebody to protect a woman who is considered to be a woman who's born a child between an interracial marriage. Uh, and the one thing I should say, actually, before I continue talking about the devil in the blue dress, is that it really does take a good hard look at the race issue not just in like a hollywood perspective because it's not quite in the way that it would be today because it was made in the 90s and things still had a long way to go before they actually looked at themselves properly and really addressed race as a hardcore issue like it was addressed but in a way that it wasn't particularly as hard hit i would i'd argue it's not as hard hitting as it is today in today's films we get quite a lot of really hardcore political films that address issues of race very seriously uh, and this one does address it but it is kind of part of the story and isn't really the main like the crime thriller aspect of this film is the main focus but to ignore the fact that it acknowledges issues of race would be it wouldn't be right not to mention that and it so it stars jennifer beals as daphne monet who is the this this woman who she passes herself off as white but she's also member of the black community as well jennifer beals is very interesting because i only knew jennifer beals for Flashdance. so to see her in something like a crime film neo-noir such as devil in the blue dress genuinely i'm so surprised because you know you see her dancing and doing all her welding stuff in Flashdance, and then she's like a, a all killer and no filler in, like devil in a blue dress in this film and it also stars don cheadle as a character called mouse uh so obviously don cheadle you'll know him for being is iron man's best friend Brody, <laughs> in the iron man avengers all those films uh after he took over from the original actor uh but yeah don cheadle a young don cheadle it's very interesting to see these actors at a young age because i don't know denzel washington i'd seen him in philadelphia with tom hanks so i kind of knew him anyway uh but this is just another area of his career and it, again it's set in the 19 i think it's the 40s 50s it's got that lovely film noir aesthetic you've got jennifer beals is kind of a femme fatale kind of a good girl kind of approach to the character but you use a black character as the main detective, which I think is very good because, I mean, obviously progression has been made since the 40s where a black man actually takes a leading role uh, and arguably we could do with a few more of those nowadays, but this one I would highly recommend as a brilliant film to watch, 1995, Devil in the Blue Dress. Uh, I'll let you guys find out about that one. The next two on my list, though, that I'd like to sort of point out, uh, there's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is from 2005, starring Robert Downey Jr. It's another Hollywood story. It's set in present day, well, present day for its time so 2005 of hollywood and it looks at robert downey jr's character harry lockhart who wins a screen test by running into a, 
into like an audition by accident and he's just literally left a crime and he ends up coming in feeling so much remorse for uh, so there's this he has to play a scene about feeling remorse for the loss of his partner during a job gone wrong in new york and you know he ends up being taken on as a potential actor and then he ends up partnering up with val kilmer of all people to play a guy called gay perry van shrike uh who play he's like the mentor figure then to rob downey jr he presents this, like obviously, like I said, mentor figure. Uh, he's a private detective who's, again, a bit like Jack Vincennes was on the TV show Badge of Honor in LA Confidential. Uh, he's the advisor on how to actually be a proper private detective and how to be, you know, someone in the police force and such. And they end up going on this weird ragtag adventure. Uh, and that's all I'll say about Kiss, Kiss Bang Bang, because honestly, it's a it's a lot of fun, that one. It's an early 2000s gem. And if you like Robert Downey Jr., you'll really like this film because it's got classic Robert Downey Jr. charisma and everything. And it's literally only uh, three years before Iron Man came out. So probably two years before he started shooting Iron Man. So literally, if you love Robert Downey Jr., watch this one. And Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer when he's not playing Batman. What more could you want? <laughs> um, but then other film noir, neo-noir films as well. There's Chinatown. I couldn't get away with not saying Chinatown. 1974, Jack Nicholson as Jack, uh, Jake Gitty, Gitties. Uh, and he is, uh, you know, it's the staple for where neo-noir began. Uh, it's directed by Roman Polanski. It's set in Los Angeles. It's got the most famous line at the end of it. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend that you watch it. And then finally, the last one on my list is Dark City from 1998. Now, this stars Rufus Sewell, who is a um, British actor, I believe. Uh, he plays a character called John Murdoch who he wakes up in a bath in this and it's a again it's a 1950s based city metropolis then it actually looks a lot more like if you've seen the 1920s film 1927 film uh, metropolis the city itself looks almost like that and that's another thing about neo-noir is a lot of these futuristic sets seem to get their inspiration from metropolis the 1927 fritz lang film and you know you can clearly see in Blade Runner, the cityscape of Los Angeles in 2019 of the film, you can see there's little aspects of Metropolis in there, and especially in this film, Dark City. Uh, so this film, it's all very dark, and the film noir, literally the word, translates as dark film or black film. So a really dark, you know, film noir relies very heavily on the shadows and everything else uh, in between. So the dark, shady underbelly of society that you see they're all happy on the surface but it's not really whereas this world so i don't want to give away too much of this this is a science fiction neo-noir i'm not going to give away too much but this one has probably got one of my favorite twists ever it's such a simple twist but it's one of my favorite twists ever uh, i will try and gloss over it a little bit but in this world of dark city in in the universe then shall we say this city that we see the dark city it's always nighttime and it's very interesting because you never actually see any daylight in the entire film during the entire existence of this city uh, until the end of the film and that's the bit i'm going to sort of leave you guys to discover if you watch dark city uh, it's brilliant it's got an interesting sci-fi twist in there uh because of there's this whole idea of memory and memories being erased so uh rufus Sewell's character john murdoch he wakes up in a bath in a hotel room and 
he's completely he doesn't know who he is he doesn't know what his name is he's got a load of stuff on him like belongings which have got his name on them he discovers that he might be john murdoch he he might have taken somebody's stuff that is john murdoch's uh, he doesn't know for a good time and he goes around this city trying to find answers to who he is he keeps having flashbacks and little memories pop, popping back to him that remind him of people that he knows people that he loves uh so for instance the character of emma played by slightly older now jennifer connelly uh who for those of you labyrinth fans so the film with david bowie from the 1980s uh you'll know jennifer connelly from that uh she's in this she plays our sort of good girl character the love interest for the main character of john murdoch uh, she is a singer in a local club a little lounge bar and she's very she looks like the look that they've given her is very traditional film noir she's got i think I believe she wears a red dress i want to say or a green dress uh, i haven't watched the film for a while but point is she's dressed very much like a actual noir 50s character and the whole world is set very in a 50s bubble as it were because everyone drives cars and everything that are 50s aesthetic and it's you know the fact that the world is completely the whole film exists in this constant nighttime is just it's a twist that i think you guys need to experience yourself so i'm not going to say much more on that one but it's brilliant in its you know use of technology and the sci-fi twist of things to you know talk about loss of memories and you know trying to regain memories and there's a lot of philosophical stuff in there as well the existence of us and people people are we being watched are we being controlled it kind of gives you the similar vibes to the film that terry gilliam's brazil which is very strange in a way that you know you're always being watched there's something happening you're being put into the into another world almost completely and then the other film that comes to mind as well so i wouldn't say brazil is a noir as such but dark city because of its detective element so we got a brilliant detective character in the form of william hurt william hurt brilliant actor who plays a detective who's trying to uncover these murders that keep occurring within his city uh, which seem to be connected to John Murdoch, and he's in the frame for murdering people. They seem to think that John Murdoch, so John Murdoch, is a potential threat to the people of the city. Uh, at one point, there's a question of, of his mental state. Uh, there's also, I think, there's another character as well, a former police character, a uh, detective. That you see this massive. His room is covered in pinpoints and maps and everything like that. Looking at the geography of the city again, I can't say much more, but that's all I'll give you for now. You should really watch it's a it's a real 1990s sci-fi crime gem i really encourage you to watch it so it's a brilliant one has a brilliant twist and rufus Sowell does a great performance as the clueless john murdoch all the way up until the end when he becomes a little bit more in the know shall we say and like i said anything with 1950s or classic noir aesthetics but brings it into the new age either mixing genre or simply putting it in color works brilliantly my last sort of pick that I would say is is the Robert Rodriguez film and Frank Miller film Sin City, which kind of comes full circle. So it's in black and white, like the old film noirs, but the entire set, apart from props and cars that they're in, is completely created through a computer-generated world. Everything is green screened it's all done in like a 3d kind of technology that hasn't been used for a while now but it's sin city takes you back to your classical noir roots in terms of the black and white aesthetic and the cinematography but at the same time it's very new it's got all the violence of a new film because because of the production code you wouldn't be allowed severe severe violence on screen or at least you'd have to hint at it you wouldn't be allowed to show it 
So, for instance, in the classic film Detour, you're only allowed to look at, you know, you see someone being strangled, but only by suggestion. You don't actually see it happening. You see the suggestion of it. Whereas in obviously new films like this, so in neo-noirs like LA Confidential, Blade Runner, Devil in a Blue Dress, Dark City, all of them, Sin City, they all deal with this aspect of pain and torture then. And Sin City is even more interesting because of the fact that it actually shows you the only colour on screen is red, and that's often connected to blood or there's the red dress which is shown in the beginning of the film at the very opening of the shot. It's not the best film in the world, um, but I would highly recommend Sin City for those of you who are getting into action thrillers and also there's got a scene that's directed by quentin tarantino (laughs) which is very interesting very random uh but yeah like i said blade runner devil in a blue dress la confidential dark city chinatown there's loads there's loads i can recommend to you but yeah the ones i've talked about today i should post some stills of if you want to see what they look like give a little sort of a feeler for you and check them out Uh, as always it's been a pleasure talking to you guys i look forward to the next episode which i'm going to be releasing very soon it's actually featuring a good old friend of mine who i'll be announcing very very soon to discuss alfred hitchcock so thank you for your time guys thank you for listening to the podcast and if there's any suggestions what's your favorite film noir i'm sure i'll do a poll of it sometime Uh, let me know in the comments on the instagram and keep liking sharing and subscribing to the podcast and I hope to bring you many, many more delights very soon. Something exciting is coming up very soon, actually. So uh, in after a couple of episodes time. So I'm looking forward to that. But for now, stay tuned for more film reviews, film news, chit chat and everything else in between. And that's a wrap on Take 97, the Neo Noir edition. And I'll catch you later, guys. Bye bye.